You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. We love playing games at our house, and uh, we're a super competitive family, and so there are times where, you know, one of the important things about games is actually knowing the rules and understanding the rules, and so there are times in our super competitive home that the rules maybe haven't been fully explained, or we assumed, you know, that the people understood the rules, and so then whenever happenstance that somebody begins to win because they know the rules better or somebody's cheating or they don't know the rules as well or whatever that may be. And this super competitiveness comes out. And so you, you can see the frustration. It's interesting whenever other people come in and they play games, other families. And so maybe they have different rules to Monopoly. Maybe they can do different things or Uno. And now there's this spicy Uno and all kinds of different things that are happening. So there's all these new kinds of games. And it's important to know the rules because if not, then there's frustration. And if you have super competitive people and it feels like someone's cheating, there's going to be some exchange, maybe not come to fisticuffs, but there'll be some exchange of some ideas in a strong way. And so you, you understand this. And so here also, and we continue our series first and 10, one of the things that's important for us to understand is that God has established some rules for us to know and understand so that we don't have frustration with him. So that we understand how he wants us to not only know him, but also to worship him and to do life with other people. That many of the reasons that we have frustrations in life, not just with the games of life, but also in life, is because we don't understand the rules that we're playing by. You experience this even when you drive in town. I've seen some of you express your frustration when someone else does not follow the rules of the driving. And you kind of give them some words of encouragement. I've seen it. Someone cuts you off or whatever. I mean, you do these things. Why? Because they are not following the rules. Maybe they didn't get the full rule book or they haven't read it and they're doing something. Or maybe the rules have changed and they started driving a little bit ago and they didn't know that the rules have changed. And so you're kind of doing some different things. And so even now here, I mean, we're we're trying to talk about rules of even golf carts around here. And some of you are getting excited about it and stuff. And so rules are always changing. And it's important for us to know the rules. And here God in in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and following, he gives us some rules of life to live by. Because he wants us to know how to worship him and how to do life with other people well. To to help us not trip over some of those things, that simple things in life that frustrate us. And so even last week, one of the things that we talked about was that we needed to worship the right God. Because there is only one God, and that God is Yahweh. And that the thing that established, whenever God established that, that he is the only God, the reason that he was able to establish that was because no other gods responded. In all of Egypt, there were hundreds of gods that were being worshipped, but only one God responded. And that God responded to his children's cry, and that God was Yahweh. And so Yahweh continually reminds his people, he wants them to understand that he is the God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God of Moses. He established a covenant with them, and through that establishment of a covenant, they'd heard the stories about Yahweh, so they had an intellectual knowledge of him. They'd heard their mom and their grandparents tell stories of, of old days and all of that, but through this experience and Exodus and coming out of Egypt and experiencing it themselves, they had a Gnosko knowledge of Yahweh, and that Gnosko knowledge is an experiential knowledge. And so here, 
um, Moses and God together are telling the people, hey, you not only have now just intellectual knowledge of the stories before, but now you have a gnosko of personal knowledge and experience. You have personally been a part of the plagues. You have personally crossed the Red Sea. You have personally gone through all these things. Now you are out of Egypt and out of slavery to a place of freedom. And so now that you're in this place of freedom, I want you to stay in a place of freedom and to stay in that place of freedom and to experience the fullness of the promised land. You need to live life in the way that I'm giving you guidance. And again, as we've talked about the first and ten, the reason that God gave us the Ten Commandments was not to stamp us down, but to allow us to live in freedom. And those commandments, as the New Testament even tells us, guides us and moves us to understand who Jesus is and how we can best engage him and worship him. And that is those things that we need to obey him and love him. And it sounds simple, but we don't do a very good job of it. That's why God didn't give us any more commands than what he did. Because those things right there will guide us to in understanding who God is. So in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, he tells us this. Then God gave the people all these instructions. Now remember, in Exodus chapter 19, he had been talking exclusively to Moses. And in the middle of 19, he goes from a singular you to a plural you. And so now he's not just talking to Moses, but he's talking to all the people. So in here in verse, in chapter 20, verse 1, it's to everyone for all time. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am, again, reminder that he's God, the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, from the place of slavery. You cried out, and I responded. There are no other gods to worship because there are no other gods. If there were other gods that you had cried out to, they would have responded, but no one did. So rule number one that he gives us, we talked about at length last week, is you must not have any other god but me. He makes that request of us because there are no other gods. You can cry out to anyone else. You can cry out to other gods. You can give an investment. You can do all those different things. But no other God will respond because there is no other God that can respond. The only God that will hear our cries is Yahweh, the God of the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, one of the interesting things that he talks about to us now in the next few verses is that we now need to be able to worship the right God in the right way. Paul has this discussion with the people in Athens. He goes into Athens, and he's being a missionary. He's sharing the gospel, and he goes to this place called Mars Hill. And Mars Hill was known as a think tank, as a place of great philosophers. And these great philosophers would gather around, and they would talk about different ways and the different gods and all of that. And so they actually had statues and, and markers of all the different gods that they knew the Greek gods, the Roman gods, all these different idols that they had set up. And so you could go around in Mars Hill and make, pay homage to and worship these many idols and these other gods. Well, just in case they didn't know all the gods, they had a statue to the one god called the unknown god. So Paul uses that and it tells them that they can know the unknown god. They can gnosko know, experientially know, the unknown god through the person of Jesus Christ. And begins to share the gospel with him. And so that's this morning, again, a reminder for us of all of these things, even the commandments, are pushing us and moving toward we can know and understand who God is. And there's interesting stories even in the Old Testament of people who knew God experientially and intellectually and still made decisions to not worship God properly. As a matter of fact, there's a thing called the way of Cain. If you know way back when in Genesis, um, Adam and Eve, after they were kicked out of the garden, had two boys that we know of, Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel both took their offerings before God, and Abel's was accepted, and Cain's was rejected. And the reason that Cain's was rejected was because he brought what he wanted to bring to God, not what God had asked him to bring. 
And we continue to do that today. As a matter of fact, in Jude, it says it's called the way of Cain. Those moments where we decide how we're going to worship God because it's convenient for us instead of how God asks us to worship him. And then also Aaron, who was the chief priest under Moses, he had some sons and his sons were being trained up in the ministry. And again, they knew the different things that they had to do to bring offerings before God, to bring offerings to the altar. And they did not do it correctly. And God zapped them right there at the altar. Now, that would change how we worship, wouldn't it? Like if you knew that you came in and, hey, you didn't do this, this and this and this, God's going to zap us. Can I tell you that we still live that way sometimes? That we still think that if we don't do these things, that we don't pull the slot machine right or we don't rub the right belly or whatever it is, that God will zap us. And now that we live in an age of grace, there's still God wants us to come to him with the right heart, but that right heart comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. God has long suffering with us. So what I want you to get this morning is that we're to worship the right God rightly. So how do we, or how does God want us to worship him rightly? The first thing is this, do not make any idols. That's the rule, okay? That's really simple, isn't it? Do not make any idols. And when we think of do not make any idols, we immediately think, hey, somebody's carved something and they kind of bow down to it and worship or they have these different things. That's part of it. They're, this idea of cutting things out of stone and making things as man. It says this in Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind, of any image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. Now, one of the main reasons for this is he's talking to the Hebrew people is because he's just brought them out of Egypt. And in Egypt, they had a plethora of gods. They had many gods, and all of these gods were in the form of animals and different created things. And again, they had cried out to those gods, and those gods hadn't responded. So God didn't want them to lean back into something that he brought them from. He didn't want to lean back into that. So he was, he's helping them understand, I am a God that is uncontainable. I am omnipotent. I'm all-powerful. I'm all-knowing. I cannot be contained by anything that you design because I am the great designer. So therefore, since I'm the creator, you should not create anything that that you worship to worship me. I need to be worshipped. And God never shows his form all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. He never shows his form. He is formless because he is beyond everything. Our finite minds cannot comprehend his infiniteness. In other words, he is so vast, any time that we attempt to put him into form, we begin to limit him, and it also destructs our worship, is what God say. So do not create any image of him. Do not create anything that would allow us to worship. And we, in those moments, that moment that we create something to worship him, we give it spiritual power. And we do this. This is why I believe that we haven't found the Holy Grail. This is why I believe that we may not have found the original manuscripts of the Bible. This is why I believe that even though some people say that they have wood chips from the cross that Jesus was crucified on, that it's probably not. This is why we don't. Why? Because the moment that those things that are found or we think they are, what happens? People give efficacy to them. They give spiritual power to them instead of the one that they should be getting the power. That should be getting the worship. That should be getting the glory. And God knows us. And he says, in those moments, I want those things gone. I think that's why we're not finding some of those things. Because God doesn't want us to worship them. He wants us to worship him. Now, I've had the opportunity to travel all over the world. And one of the things that always breaks my heart, the reason I'm traveling all over the world, is because many people are worshiping idols. 
They're worshiping all these different things. And it breaks my heart to see people put money, to put offerings, to do different things to the, to the, off, to the idols behind me. And there's some great art, some creative stuff, some people have put a lot of time in them, and they worship those idols above God. And you can see, whenever you're in those different venues, you can see why God would say, do not worship anything. One of my saddest moments of my life, I was able to be in a Buddhist temple in the middle of China, up along the Mongolian border. And going into there, there were rooms upon rooms upon rooms. Now, this was a this place was hand-built by wood. Some craftsmen had spent an inordinate amount of time preparing this. And each room had thousands of idols, okay? Each one was a little different. And what I was told, and what I know to be true to this day, is that whenever you walk into, if you're a Buddhist, you have to walk into that room and you have to pay homage to every single idol in that room. Now, there were at least ten rooms that I walked into and there were more. So we're talking about thousands upon thousands upon thousands of idols that you had to go to and pay homage to and make sure that they were you appeased them so that whenever you died, you would make sure that you would go to heaven. That's exhausting. You'd be poor. I mean, I don't know about your life, but if I've got to go make appeasement to everybody, all these different gods, you're going to be going around for a long different time. And these, and so the, the fact that they're just living in fear of the fact that I appease all of those gods, that I give them enough money, that I pray the right thing, that all these things. Again, God tells us, worship me and me alone. Do not create anything else to be worshiped but me. I cannot be contained by those things. Now, let's be honest. There's also things that we've created that are symbols within the Christian church that sometimes we give extra special power to or credit to. Again, they're supposed to be aids in worship, but we have a tendency to worship them beyond what we're supposed to do. We have a natural tendency. Our human heart is to worship the things that we've created instead of the creator. I mean, think about it. I mean, I can find Jesus toast on eBay and people are paying big money. Right. If you see that there's a statue of Mary that begins to weep, people begin to go and they do enormously crazy things to get to seek the ability to have communion with God, have an extra special relationship with God. And the scripture tells us the only way to the father is through Jesus. It's not these little different acts that we do. It's all about Jesus and Jesus alone. There's a wonderful quote from David McCullough, Donald McCullough. It says this one may appear before other gods with a sense of confidence with no sense of being threatened. They will stay put. They don't stray from their places assigned to them by human egos and desperately trying to maintain control. So whenever we create idols, we place them where we want to place them, and we now control them is what Donald is saying. And so those idols can be things that we make that also can be the things that we even talked about last week, that more of our modern models of, of pleasure, of materialism, of pride, of our work, of our children, the different things that we raise up to more importance than what they really are. But the God revealed in Jesus Christ is holy, and a holy God cannot be contained or tamed. This sort of God is holy other. In other words, the God Yahweh that we proclaim to worship through Jesus is holy other. There's nothing that we can create that will help us worship him because the moment that we try to do that, we limit who he is, and therefore our worship is not fully what it can and should be. God says, I will, cannot and will not be contained by creation. I am the creator. So he gives us the rule to not have any idols. And the reason for that is because he is jealous for you. 
He has great affection for you. He wants you because he knows there's no other God. The moment that you give affection and attention to any other God, you are losing out. You're going to have pain. You're going to have shame. You're going to have regret. You're going to be crying out to a God that you anticipate to respond to you but never will. And so God is saying, listen, I am your father. I crave your affection. You've left home. You've pursued other idols. You've pursued other things. I want you to come home and understand who I am and how much I love you and how much I want for you. And he says, you must not bow down before them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am jealous. Think of this idea of zealous. He will pursue you, and he doesn't want you to run away. He wants you to be at home. He's a zealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. He wants you. He's jealous for you. And this is one of those words that has, has a tendency to have negative connotation today. But in reality, the biblical idea is God loves you, and he knows what's best for you, and he doesn't want your affections to go to anything else, you'll have pain, shame, and regret. So you have a rule, you have a reason for that rule, and then also he gives us a warning. In the next part of that verse in Exodus chapter 20, the warning is this, is that family life or home life matters. This is an interesting passage. Let's read it together. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. That's pretty hard. And I know I've got some stuff And I don't want my kids to have it, but it's saying that stuff will pass upon my children. The entire family is affected by the way that as parents in the home, we raise our children, the way that we do things. And it even says, even children into the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. So here what God is saying, he's saying, listen, parents, the home that you raise your children in matters. Because what is more important is not we, we try to teach our kids things, but more important, as we've talked about, things are caught. So the way that you treat the checker at HEB, if it doesn't line up with your faith, your kids are watching that. And the way that you interact with someone whenever they don't know the rules of driving and you express that with them, your kids are watching that. The way that you talk to the referees at the games because they've done something and whatever and you kind of get onto them for that, your children are watching that. So what he's saying is, is listen, What happens is more important than what happens on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, Saturday of your faith than even more importantly than what you're doing here. Because if there's a disagreement and that you, what you do and say here on Sunday is compared to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, your children are watching that. Your family life matters. And so if in reality you say that you have person of faith, but otherwise are not showing it, they're seeing that and it affects your family. Your kids will model you. Good and bad. And so what God is telling us is say, listen, don't have any other idols before me. Don't worship your kids. Don't worship your work. Don't worship your money. Don't worship your pleasure. Don't worship those things. Worship me and make me the center of your household. That the best place for your children to learn about faith may be at the kitchen table. May over dinner. Maybe in the car as you're going from to and fro in different places. All these different places are opportunities, as Deuteronomy chapter 6 tells us. Everywhere we go as parents of faith, we're teaching our children about what we truly believe about Jesus on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, even more than on Sunday. And that if we teach our children on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday that we really don't believe what Jesus teaches impacts our lives, then our children will model that. And that they'll be third and fourth generation, and they will begin to reject the things that we've taught. And I think we're seeing that modeled even in our American culture today. So the warning of that, Deuteronomy chapter 6, wherever you go, teach them. The father's son, the father's sins will be passed down. But here's the deal that I want you to get. Is that's, that is truth. Family life, that's a warning. Family life does it. But in Ezekiel chapter 18, there's a great verse for us to get. 
doesn't the child pay for the parent's sins? They're being asked that question. And the response is no. For if the child does what is just and right and keeps my decrees, that child will surely live. The person who sins is the one who will die. In other words, the parent's ultimately responsible. The one who sins is ultimately responsible. But understand that it can impact the child. But if the child says yes to Jesus, if they're going up in a home that's not of faith and they accept Jesus, then that changes their legacy. I know some of you, you have that, you have that testimony and that story. If you grew up in a home that wasn't a faith home, but you came to Christ as a, as a teenager, as a young adult, and you have been trying to live that out and to flesh that out and in living that and fleshing it out, your family life is different than what you grew up in. And how is that possible? Because when you said yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit took residence with that inside of you. And living out the commands drives you and points you to Jesus and points you to being a home of peace and a home of life where previously you were not in one. So it says this, the child will not be punished for the parent's sins and the parent will not be punished for the child's sin. Again, what's taught and caught is important. That's a warning for us, but there's also a promise. Now, in the warning, it's the third and fourth generation. But the beautiful thing is the promise on the other that one warning, the family life happens, but also a promise because family life matters is this. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations, not three or four, but for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. In other words, the promise is even greater than the warning. Listen, I want to be cautious to you to listen. Home life matters. Be cautious of that. But the moment that someone says yes to Jesus, it changes the household. It changes the legacy. It changes the destination. It changes everything because God is in the midst of that and he's going to fight for his children. He's going to work and it will change the dynamic of the home that once was lost, once in Egypt and slavery. And now we're living out what it means to live in the promised land. If you obey me for a thousand generations, it will change. Again, one of the things that Becky and I talked about early on when we were talking about getting married and having kids and stuff, one of the things that we desired was that our home would be a home of peace. And that is that as we grew up as young people and we would go to different people's homes, there was immediately there's something about in our souls that we can sense when you walk into a home, it's either a home of peace or it's not. And inevitably, one of the things as you look back, you can see and understand that one, many times the reason that home is a home of peace is, is because people of faith are striving to know and to follow what it means to be followers of Jesus. Since so it's a peaceful home, it's a, a, pace, a place of faith, and mom and dad are striving to love it. And listen, let's just get this out. There's no perfect people, right? All of us have some stuff. There's no perfect home. If two imperfect people come together, they don't make perfection. They make dysfunction. Right. And so that's why there's fun in your home, because there's dysfunction. All right. And so we're all working that is in the home. That fun is part of peaceful. We're moving forward together. We can love each other, even though there's differences. And listen, that's the whole thing is mom and dad are moving in the direction of one another because they're both both moving in the direction of Jesus. That if there's any discord in the home, many times it's because one is moving toward Jesus and one is not. One is either at least either either stationary undecided about Jesus or they're moving away from Jesus. That's why it's so important. When I talk to couples that are thinking about getting married, it's like, listen, we have to have this solved. Do you both believe and both know that the foundation of your individual life and your married life is Jesus? If not, we've got to resolve that because if not, you're going to be fighting for the rest of your life because this most important decision is the most important decision. Do you know and love Jesus and are you going to be in pursuit of him? If not, then maybe we don't need to do this right now. We've got to solve this because God says for a thousand generations, unfailing love for those who love me 
and obey me. Even think about it this way. The woman at the well, John chapter 4, her life hadn't been successful. She'd been married, married several times. She was living with somebody. I mean, it was not a success. As a matter of fact, she was at the well whenever no one else would be there because she didn't want to see anyone. Everybody in town knew her and knew her life was not a success. And then she comes to meet Jesus and immediately people follow her because she was different. Her countenance was different. Something was about her. She had a story about how Jesus transformed her life and it changed everything. Things can be overcome because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. What once was not a success, you can find legacy because of Jesus. Worship the right God rightly. How do we do that in the New Testament era, in the era of grace? This is it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Anyone who belongs to Christ, who said yes to him, comes under his leadership and his authority, becomes a new person. And what's interesting to me is that God says, do not make idols. And in this idea here of a new person, a new creation, he's using idol statue language. He says, you will be melted down. The person before is melted down. And when you, when you say yes to Jesus, and a new substance is included. And I remake you. God the Father, Jesus remakes you. And you look like when it says in Genesis that we are made in his image. And that was, we sometimes think that this Physical image is it, and it's not. It's the fact that we have an ability to have a relationship with him. And so in that moment when we say yes to Jesus, he melts the old self that could not fully understand and grasp God, that just had intellectual knowledge. But now that we've said yes to Jesus, he remakes us, and now we have this gnosko knowledge that we've experienced him, and there's something different about us. What once was unholy is now holy, and it all has to do with the fact that we're a new person because of who we are in Christ. And that the only thing that we have to offer in worship is ourselves, is our heart. That we come to him and just say, hey, listen, this is all I've got. Because everything I offer you is is dirty rags. They're not worth bringing to you. I cannot create or do anything or work hard enough to earn it. It's truly the fact that you've given me the gift to bring to you. So instead of remaking God into our own image and making it convenient for us to worship, we need to be remade into his. We are a new creation to say yes to him, to be melted down and be raised up to a newness of life and to not live in the old ways, to live in the new ways, to be remade in him. God has given us an opportunity to be remade in him. And in Hebrews chapter 10, there's a beautiful passage. I want to give a couple of verses. It says this, by his death, Jesus opened a new and living way, giving way through the curtain, into the most holy place. Now, in the old days, one priest once a year could go in and offer a sacrifice for us. Now, through the New Testament, because of Jesus' sacrifice, and us saying, yes, we get to go into the Holy of Holies and have a relation. You are a priest unto God. And since we have a great high priest, who is Jesus, who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. Right worship places God in his rightful place. He is God and we are not, and he is alone worthy of our worship. Worship the right God in the right way. And the only thing that we have to offer is our heart. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. Father, we thank you that you heard our cries. Individually in this room, many of us have cried out to you. 
And you've heard our cries and you've brought us from our Egypt, from our slavery and to freedom. Father, I pray for the homes in this place, that we would be homes that are in our imperfectness. We're still striving to know and to obey Jesus. And that we teach and share what it means with our children and our grandchildren. That our legacy is more than our will that we pass down. It's more than a house. It's more than a classic car. But it's our faith in Jesus Christ. That, Father, that our focus is on you and you alone. Father, may we bring our hearts and the gifts that you've given us to worship you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.